This is Heavy Strategy, where the questions are more important and often more interesting than the answers. I'm Jonna Johnson, and with me is Greg Farrow. Today's topic is the top mistakes that technology strategists make when budgeting. Greg, is it a mistake? I, is it a mistake, do you think, or is it just errors or things they haven't thought of? I, I think mistakes might be a little bit strong. Oh, uh, no. No. Grab them. You think it's you think it's just like mistakes, like because mistakes implies that you're doing it wrong, and I'm not sure that technology strategy is ever wrong. I just think it's not well done. Does that make sense? Yes, but no. Um, I I mean to me that sounds like a whole bunch of weasel words designed not to hurt anybody's feeling feelings. <laughs> you know, by the way, we could actually keep this, <laughs> but uh, you know, honestly. I think engineers and technologists are probably the most receptive to the concept of doing it wrong. You know, there is such a such a thing as mistake in engineering. There might, and there is such a thing as a mistake in finance, right. possibly in sales, but not necessarily in marketing. Marketing is sort of fluffy. There are different opinions about ways to do things. There are optimal and less optimal, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But in technology, there is such a thing as a mistake. So I think we're going to be talking about the top mistakes that people make when budgeting doing strategic budgeting. I'm a bit more sanguine about the idea of mistakes. I don't think enterprise IT often gets things wrong. They often do things that are unusual or not fully correct or partially implemented or heading in the wrong direction, but they often work well enough, if that makes I, sense. I think the technical, direct, the yeah. technical definition of heading in the wrong direction, if you're talking about strategy, is wrong mm. or mistake. <laughs> um, I think there's a handful of things that we can touch on that really are mistakes and then maybe things that are, you know, as as is more polite, suboptimal. Suboptimal. Perhaps so. Well, why don't we um, dive into then what one of the things that you, one of the first topics that we've got around where you think things start to go wrong as a mistake or maybe heading off in the wrong direction when the people who set strategy inside of enterprise IT. What's the first one you want to bring? To the I table? think the first one is confusing incremental evolutionary progress in technology with paradigm shift. And paradigm shifts don't often happen, but when they do, they upend everything. And technology strategies, strategists really need to be keeping a close enough eye on things to recognize when you've got one and when you've got the other. Greg, we were just talking about this. Sometimes technology gets really boring because all we're ever doing is freaking incremental and evolutionary improvements, tweaking things around the edges. Now, yeah. from a finance standpoint and from a strategy standpoint, that's lovely because you don't have to do any work. You kind of mm. sit there and go, okay, well, uh, revision you know, 14.7.2 is going to come out in six months and it's gonna have these features and we will plan to adopt them in seven months or whatever it is. And from a strategy standpoint, that's wonderful and easy. But every now and then, probably every five to 10 years, something comes along that says, this entire class of products just became obsolete because we're doing things differently. One example I can remember from the bad old days is when Microsoft and Windows first appeared. At that point, all of the technology departments were looking to IBM to see what the next iteration of OS2 was going to do. And there was this weird little startup on the horizon mm -hmm. doing some crazy stuff. And I remember distinctly that it there was about a six month period at the beginning of the six month period everybody was committed to us too at the end of the six month period everybody had completely pivoted and bought into microsoft and a more recent example of that is you know i was just telling you um i am 
you know, I found the cybersecurity space intensely boring a couple of years ago mm. because all it ever was was iterative improvements on firewalls. Well, we've got, you know, next generation firewall and next, next, next generation firewall and postmodern firewall and post postmodern firewall. And it was like, you know, yeah, but the firewall's the wrong, it's the wrong paradigm. And, I do think and now we've moved to zero trust. Let me just wrap up and then I'll toss mm. over to you. Now we've moved to zero trust and zero trust obviates the need for a whole lot of technologies, including firewalls. From a strategy point of view, you need to be able to catch that as it's happening and not wait till it's already happened. Yeah. But, over to you. So from a strategic backdrop at that point in time, IT security was still not serious. So when we had firewalls, we implemented perimeter security and that was enough. There was almost no consequences from having a security failure. Companies would, you know, most of the time not even get known in public that something had happened. They may not even know that they were being penetrated and data and people were being abused and, you know, were stolen and stuff like that. And there was no consequences. You know, companies like Target were owned comprehensively. We saw payment consoles owned and nobody cared. So why would we, you know, we took, so we, what we did was we made firewalls slightly better by adding applications. So strategically, I think that made sense. Yes. And I agree that strategically, I'm, I had the view that security didn't matter and the state of the security industry didn't matter. And so the products were incrementally evolving. I completely agree. The point is, even in an area that is doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, all of a sudden, a paradigm shift will kick in. Hmm. And you need to know that it's coming because from a strategic perspective, you can't simply assume that the past is the predictor of the future so that things will always and only iteratively improve in that space. You need to be watching for the absolutely transformational next generation, truly next generation innovation that is going to literally say, hey, these six products, you don't even need them anymore, but you need to spend a bunch of money over here. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing strategic budgeting, you need to be aware that's coming down the pike. You also need to be able to communicate that intelligently to people who are not as aware as you are, you know, because it's one of the hardest things to do to walk into somebody's office and say, boss, the world is going to be different in this way, this way, and this way, and it's going to affect their budget. Just trust me. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, How about you. So but I think from that my never point worked of view, for me. Yeah, I think I think from my point of view, the strategic realization is that IT security, in this particular case, say yes, I agree. Firewalls have been boring for a very long period of time, and the shift to zero trust is a substantial shift in the industry. It means that the firewall function moves to the edge of the network or moves to where the user is fundamentally, and so that is the strategic realization that you need to have that you're still implementing security controls that were in your firewall. But... I'm going to interrupt and say you're yeah. getting too far down in the weeds. My yeah. point is, if you're doing strategy, the point is that every now and then these big strategic shifts will come in, whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's storage, whether it's networking, whether it's applications, these shifts are going to hit. You're still living in the world of horse and buggy and the automobile has been invented. So without getting too deep into the details of what zero trust means yeah. to Well, I was budgeting, keeping it a high level because what I was saying is that the security function moves from a sharp sure. point that you architect to the But it doesn't the matter. Network, right? the, 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 the real point here is that there's a, there's a paradigm shift that means you're taking a whole bunch of money out of a set of products and moving them into a different set of products because things have changed, because capabilities exist now mm -hmm. that didn't exist. And getting back to the question, 
you know, that's one of the biggest mistakes that I see. I've seen companies deny the reality of a paradigm shift until they've spent a ton of money on stuff mm. that they just have to rip out and then reinvest in the new, you know, in the new technology. I just use the example of zero trust because it's a, you know, nice, right, nice, easy It's one. a classic one, right? Because it is actually a very deep one. I think right. the interesting thing too is that what we're actually seeing is application firewall companies or products embrace zero trust and then add zero trust to it. That lets your strategy keep your existing tools, that is application firewalls, and add zero trust to the edge and then use software to manage them both. So they're strategically... Ish. I mean, frankly, I think yeah. it's hilarious that Palo Alto is the biggest promoter of zero trust. Uh, I think this is one of the cases of Machiavelli and keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Because basically all Palo Alto is about is making sure you keep paying the money. So, you know, they're trying to transition you from the firewall model to the zero trust model and telling you you can do that transition safely and comfortably from within the Palo Alto ecosystem. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, that sale, that sales strategy has worked. Cisco, hardly an innovator. Microsoft, no way an innovator. AWS, not exactly innovating anymore, just doing the same thing over and over. Customers don't want a lot of innovation. Strategically, innovation is disruptive to your strategy. So you actually don't want to see innovation happening every quarter because then you don't get to implement your strategy. That's absolutely true. And mm. I'd like to sort of kick back to you. What do you think one of the top mistakes or, as you said earlier, the, one of the suboptimal decisions people make in strategic budgeting? I think the biggest one is not doing it themselves. I've got a big thing about in-housing. When I'm advising CIOs or when I'm advising senior leaders inside of IT teams about building strategies, they have to build the strategy. They can hire consultants to test the strategic idea, to validate or to criticize, right? Bring in an outsider. You say, this is my strategy. Here's the document I wrote. Tell me what would be better. How could we improve this? Is this right? Is this wrong? But the strategy should come in-house because only people who are doing this every day inside of your organization, understand your business. When you bring in a consultant from outside, they spend 70% of their money that you're paying them to learn your business. And then the 30% delivering you value, that's a rough number pulled out of the air, but it's not unrealistic. My point is, is that strategically, IT teams need to have their own strategy function. And then if they want to, turn to third parties, resellers, VARs, consultant teams, professional services teams to drive holes and say, here's my strategy, treat it like a straw man, tell me why, what I don't know. Greg, I could not agree with you more. And I say that as someone who makes a living going into people's IT teams and building their strategies. But the biggest problem with the strategy is we come in and we look at everything. Honestly, because we work with clients for extended periods of time, we have a lot of institutional knowledge, so we don't waste a lot of time getting to know them. But we take everything we know put it together in a strategy that makes sense. They nod and look really happy. We give it to the higher ups and then we come back a year ago, year later and they mm. haven't done a damn thing with it because it's not theirs. So I couldn't yeah. agree with you more. I will, however, push back on one tiny thing you said, which is going to VARs and resellers. And here's why I would not recommend doing that and focus on consultants who do specialize in strategy like mm. you and like me. The reason for that is what I said, which is 
you may be just too darn busy doing your day job to realize that there's something on the horizon that's going to upend everything. That's where your consultant can add real value. They come in and say, no, guys, listen, I know your strategy is bigger, better firewall, but let me explain what zero trust is and how that's going to affect your strategy. That's where a consultant can really help. You know, the consultant should really be yeah. bringing in that on the horizon. And the thing is, VARS or any other managed service provider doesn't want to embrace the new innovation. And they're just as blind as enterprises because yeah. it's going to mess with their business model and hurt their margins to, to develop it. And my instinct there is to say that a, a consulting operation or a person who's consulting who's visionary looking at far horizons is not the person who should implement it. You should Absolute, actually have, yes, absolutely agree. But instinctively, a lot of people say, "Oh, this was your so you you gave us this strategy. Now you implement it because you must understand how to execute on it." Which is I, actually another another terrific mm, point because mm. you know what you're really saying is don't have the strategist implement. Speaking as a strategist who has in yeah. prior lives implemented, so I do understand what it takes. I, think most I, I would do, strongly yeah. agree with this that you don't want the person coming up with the strategy doing the implementation because they're two different skill sets and two different areas of focus. And I don't care how fancy their name is, whether it's, you know, Accenture or E&Y or whatever, or Nemertes, the folks that are good at A aren't going to be good at B and vice versa. And I think it's also to have a separation of duties. If you set my strategy, you shouldn't implement it. If you implement my strategy, you shouldn't set my direction. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig on that one a little bit. Why do you see the need? I agree with you instinctively, but why do you see the need for separation of duties? I think it leads to a conflict of interest is one angle. Because then I start, if I set your strategy, then I can align the strategy with my goals, not yours. So if I'm a reseller- That's an excellent point. It, your strategy needs to be something, if, I, if I'm a reseller and I come in and I say, you need, you need this strategy, I'm going to intentionally devise a strategy that as I go implement will give me the most revenue at the least amount of effort. Or I might be a reseller offering you advisory services, potentially free, but I happen to resell HPE products, right? And that's my primary- my business's primary purpose is to be a major partner or maybe i'm changing to dell and i need to get my dell numbers up to hit the net discount level i've got the the sales team going like we need to sell more dell go in there and get convince this customer to buy you know more dell or whatever and so you the advice you get is not independent or not necessarily in your best interest that's not to say having your var or your consultant committed to your business because they're going to get a double, you know, they get, but that's getting two bites of the apple, if you like, as they say. Yeah, I agree. And actually, I think that's an excellent point. As you said earlier, point number two was don't have your, don't have your consultant create the strategy. You create it, have them vet it. And also don't have the person vetting it be the person who has a vested interest in implementing it because of the conflict of interest and, you know, conflict of skill sets. Yes. And then I also think the second thing is that the operational focus on implementation leads to a very targeted focus. There was once a very good line, it was a man who believes in religion has his eyes fixed on heaven and not where his feet are going. It's a great one, yes. Right? Yeah. So and if you spend all your, you know, all the time thinking of heaven, you might not notice what's going wrong in your personal life around you. And yeah, it, and I'm, I'm constitutionally one of those people that religion yeah. aside is always looking out at the far horizons and I've yeah. been known to trip over my feet once or twice. Exactly. So you don't want your strategic advice to be... What you actually want is your implementation team to come in and critique the strategy and say, this can't be implemented, and then to justify why. And the strategic part has to say, and you want that, conf you want that, or not conflict, but you want that engagement because- Generative adversarial network, except with human <laughs> intelligence and not AI. 
because you want the you know the implementation scene to go like well that can't work for us and the strategic person has to go why and then there's a whole process of nutting out you know and maybe the strategy that's been put together is wrong because there's something missed like you know i'm going to implement this application but to implement this application i would need uh, 50,000 kilowatts of power in the data center to support the necessary infrastructure and our data center doesn't have it okay well there's no amount of strategic process that's going to overcome the fact that there's a physical limitation and you can't have what you want or the only way this strategy is going to be implemented is it comes from a vendor that your company has now has decided to never do business with again right At that exact scenario actually happened recently to me and it was funny just side note because uh the vendor threw up on its shoes so badly that when we kind of you know arrived at the point where this vendor was the only one that had the capability that they needed at that point in time mm. it was sort of like well now you now what do you do so yes that yeah. can happen and there's so many issues like that but that engagement or that co- you know that conflict is actually desirable right you want the strategy to be developed without an eye on with, with only a partial awareness of the implementation but then you want the implementation to come back and push back and i want i want to come back to this because you've raised another really interesting point this sounds like a subset of what you said earlier don't have your implementers create the strategy and don't have the people who you know don't have the consultant create the strategy but it's a special case subset that's worth calling out don't deploy a cookie cutter strategy. And what I mean by that is whether you come up with it or your consultant comes up with it, you know, the kind of off the shelf strategy that you should do X because everybody else Hmm. is doing X and therefore you will be successful is a terrible idea. Whether you came up with it or whether Accenture handed, you know, dusted off their, Hmm. you know, next generation computing strategy. At a high level, sure, you can say our strategy is is to move as much as is possible to cloud, for example, because everybody's doing that. But you have to really understand the customization for that. Like, what are your specific business goals and which parts of that strategy don't make sense for you because of your business goals? No, I disagree. But you don't agree. So I don't agree. I disagree quite strongly on this. Cookie cutter solutions, especially around technology, are actually quite successful on the whole. Not for strategy. Even for strategy, because then everybody knows where they're going. I disagree, but go on. So if you look at over the last 20 years, we've seen companies go down the x86 path for servers. Everybody takes the same cookie cutter and it's all the same. Everybody gets the same server to do the same thing and they all rack the same servers in the same place in the same way. And there's a set of skill sets that build up in the industry around using those. I'm just using servers as an example. You could equally apply it to SQL, to JavaScript, Go, to per, you know, to, to Python, right? Why do people not adopt more languages? And the answer there is that a cookie cutter approach works for most circumstances. What your strategy should outline is why, if you're going to not approach it with a cookie cutter, you have to justify why. Because 99% of businesses all do the same thing in the same way and if they didn't nobody would be using you know the same accounting packages or the same sap for for process management and warehousing right if they were all genuinely unique they would all genuinely never have one product they'd never be dominant players in the market i i disagree and i have the data for it you know i i would argue that you're correct for a specific subcase but one of the things we ask clients and one of the things we do in our research is we ask folks to categorize the corporate view towards technology and we specifically say technology not just it Mm. because it matters Um, and we give people four buckets conservative moderate aggressive leading edge bleeding edge the conservative and moderate folks are mostly interested in saving money 
And these are the guys that are the late adopters who will deploy technology, you know, 12 to 36 months after everybody else has done it. For those guys, cookie cutter makes an absolute, everything you just said, mm. absolutely. For the aggressive and leading edge, bleeding edge folks, they're the ones that don't want to explicitly don't want to do what everybody else is doing because they're looking to technology to, to deliver a strategic mm. advantage or a competitive advantage. And by the way, statistically, there are roughly, roughly there's a 50-50 split across all industries mm. and all companies. Now, industries themselves will cluster in one yep. category or another, but companies within those industries will also spread. But it might be 40% of the folks are in the aggressive to leading edge, bleeding edge space, but it's certainly not 1%. That's where I can tell you, you know, for those folks, you really explicitly don't want to do a cookie cutter mm. strategy for the guys in the 50 to 60 percent who are the later adopters yeah. sure i take your point but i i find companies that companies most often say they want to be innovators or to do it differently or to get a competitive edge and then when it comes time to sign the purchase order they buy the same thing as everybody else I actually haven't seen that at all. And and also, I don't use buzzwords like be an innovator because everybody wants to think of themselves as innovator. We literally look at what is the attitude towards technology, what is getting funded, what is not getting funded. And it's really, are they spending money on stuff that is new and to a certain extent untested? That's part of, that's part of classifying yourself. And we've been doing this for probably about 18 years so there's a pretty good alignment between spending money on an, on innovative stuff and defining yourself as a strategic, you know, strategically aggressive or leading edge, bleeding edge. Um, and that's important because the data backs up what they say. It's not just a feel good hmm. mantra of, oh, I'm an innovator. But I but that comes back to my customization point, because even there you can say, OK, we know which category we're in you know, whether cookie cutter would work for us or whether we need a lot more customization. I'm a customization. fan of cookie cutter solutions because it reduces the impact of a bad deployment because you can go out and buy stuff that know what you're doing. And if you don't deviate strongly from a core product, like when you buy SAP, for example, or Oracle, if you take what you get given and wrap your business around it, that is often cheaper than customizing it to you. I agree with that, but I think once again, you're confusing implementation with strategy. Cookie cutter implementation, sure. Cookie cutter strategy, well, absolutely away from not if you're in that. People, the strategy people who come up with pie in the sky if wishes were fishes and princesses were real sort of strategy. I've seen- No, we try not to do that. I mean, yes, that, and actually, I think you just highlighted mm -hmm. yet another, another mistake or perhaps suboptimal mm. choice, if we want to be warm and fuzzy, which is that people do embrace strategies that can't be implemented. And I actually saw a client do that recently, and I wanted to smack yeah. them upside the head because the top dog in the environment had said, basically their broad strategy had mobility as a puzzle piece that snapped into the strategy and said, we're yeah. going to do mobility. And we kind of sat down with them and said, okay, let's talk about which business processes need to be mobilized and which actual benefit you're going to get from mobilizing these business processes. And they shook their head at us and said, no, you don't understand. We're just going to do mobility. That's our strategy. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. You have to decide where you're mobilizing yeah. and what you're hoping to get out oh. of it. Now, I'll caveat this. I'm not going to disagree with you strongly because you're right in the sense that it should be targeted. But I would also say that there is a case to be said that mobility applies so broadly now, like in this specific use case. There are times when mobility is so obviously the answer, you don't actually dive into where. You just need to have it. 
Does that make sense? It, it does. And, and I would I would actually have to caveat and say for this particular company, it didn't because they had okay, some constraints that yeah. mobility was not not even appropriate without going into details. But yes. Yes, sort but of no, yes, but, but yes, but yeah, no. And yes, yes but, but no. no. But yeah, but no. <laughs> yes, uh, but, I think one of the other yeah. challenges I find with strategy is if you have a strategy function inside your organization, the biggest challenge then becomes what I call a competency bias. And that is people do what they know. So if they know a product or they know a company or they know somebody who they turn to for advice, they lose sight of the unknown unknowns and they have no tools or process to go and engage with unknown unknowns to find out a research. One of the things that I found is that many IT practices, practitioners are very good at researching a solution, but they're not very good at researching strategy. How do I find vendors? How do I find emerging technologies? How do I find or, or how do I not find innovation? How do I come to the conclusion in the end that there is no innovation in this space and I'm going to go with the mainstream solution? Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And it also allows me to insert a plug for Nemertis <laughs> in here. Uh, aside from the fact that we can develop strategies for you, even though Greg says we shouldn't, and I agree with him, <laughs> but if you want it anyway, we can do it or we can, we can assess your strategy. But more to the point, uh, we actually have rolled out an emerging technologies offering that's designed precisely to do that, to sort of shake everybody out of the comfort zone, highlight when a technology has suddenly hit that point where we're getting very close mm. to a paradigm shift, and then at least provide some pointers about what to do about it. I, I take your point that str strategists sometimes tend to be too pie in the sky and not connect, yeah. you know, the heavens with the real world. And, and, you know, as I said, that's a constitutional weakness of mine personally, but we do try to try to overcome that weakness by looking at everything that we look at and then filter it through the lens of what should an enterprise technology technologist do yeah. about this now? And the answer can range from anything from absolutely nothing. It's irrelevant to get on the standards boards because this is going to shape how you run your business for the next yeah. 50 years. I, I just find it interesting. I know that I used to go to conferences in years gone past to find out, to learn what I didn't know or to find out what I didn't know, to discover things. Over the last 10 years prior to the pandemic, conferences turned away from that, exposing new ideas to becoming training programs for young or a new talent. You know, so you send your juniors along and they go and get training. They certify, they do exams or sit in training courses, the, they become sales meetings. Uh, you know, many of the presentations used to be really informative and very valuable digging inside technologies. And I would rush from session to session to absorb information about technologies that I would never know. And that was me filling in the gaps in my unknowns. And now I get in there and they say, oh, this is our new chassis we're telling, and this is what it does, and this is how many you should buy. And, and they become sales meetings instead of training. Yeah, I'd like to, to add on to that. One of, the, one of the challenges, and it's a pendulum swing, and I think we'll swing back. 20, 30 years ago, there used to be technology conferences that were multi-vendor about an area very broadly defined where folks came to show off their innovation and give you new ideas. Over the past decade or so, the vendors have re-seized control. So now some of the most active conferences are are the the vendors own conferences where they say, oh, we're going to have our users come to, you know, and pretty much all the major vendors do this, Salesforce, Slack, AT&T, Cisco. It's like, come to our thing. Don't bother going to any place that there isn't anyone that we haven't vetted. We just want you here. And that becomes much more of a focus on let's tell you what version 1.2.3.4.5B is, which is coming out in three months 
will have for you. If you have a limited conference budget, whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's willingness to travel, you should spend it not on these stupid vendor force feed you with their greatness conferences, but go to conferences where there maybe aren't even any vendors at all. Or if the vendors are there, there are lots of different vendors. Yeah, I don't think... It's difficult because vendor selection often comes into strategy these days because there's so few solutions on the market. Oh, absolutely. But you're not going to get good vendor selection if you go to Palo Alto's conference or no. AT&T's conference. You know which vendor you're going to come away with. And unfortunately, I have seen a lot of that. I've seen, you know, coming back to what are the mistakes or the suboptimal <laughs> decisions. One of them is going to a vendor for your strategy. And I can't tell you how many times I've walked into an environment where we ask about their strategy and the answer is a vendor name, Microsoft or AT&T or Cisco mm. or whoever. My response is that's not a strategy. I don't care what they're telling you. They are a piece of your strategy. They are not the whole of your strategy. And the fact that you've done this shortcut from strategy to vendor means you've skipped all the important steps of developing a strategy, which means you don't actually have a strategy other than to fork over every dollar to the vendor you just named. Yeah, but equally, I think a strategy needs to recognize that for most technology solutions in the market, there's usually only four or five possible solutions. Even more than that, you have mm. to have the reality check that perhaps you have three or four core vendors that are probably going to be your partners into the future. So any strategic decision you make has to somehow involve how do you integrate with their solutions and their forthcoming solutions? And we actually recommend that when people do vendor and technology and product selections, we kind of say, we push people to say, okay, who are your core vendors that you're really realistically not going to rip out in the next decade? And let's put some selection criteria in here that have to do with how well the guys you're looking at will integrate with the guys that you've yeah. already selected. I just wanted to make the point that, you know, at the end of the day, it's not an infinite variety <clears throat> of solutions. So the market is very, it's not granular. It's actually globular. You can have solution. Usually there's three solutions and that's usually a very deliberate choice by vendors because they believe in the rule of the sales law of threes, a small, a medium, a large, or a best, not so best, worst. And the idea is that they always want to sell you the thing in the middle and they're always trying to guide the customers to buy the thing in the middle because that's where the most profit is. But in terms of the number of vendors in a space, I would push back mm. again where something is emerging, roiling, broiling. That's where you have 800,000 vendors and picking the right one is, is extremely important. And that's where you typically do not want to go to your existing vendors and say, oh, you have a technology mm. in this space. Let, let's go ahead and buy yours. You know, IBM, looks like you guys are doing this stuff too, so we'll buy it from you. Because what you'll typically find is that the vendor's first, the big vendor's first effort isn't, isn't going to be up to snuff. Case in point, when Cisco first did SD-WAN, it had its own internally developed SD-WAN until it went out and bought yeah. Viptela, which was the industry leader. If you were one of those people that was a Cisco shop but deviated to buy Viptela, you were thrilled when Cisco bought Viptela. Get the right, yeah, that, make the right choice. That's a bad choice. example because that was a really badly handled product, you know, technology transition. And it was oh, an it example was, but of that's, how, that's classic for example Cisco. Of how vendors can't let go of things, right? Right. You well, know, like, that's true. That's maybe that's a topic true, for another yes. day. Some other areas in strategy uh, is to also watch for budgets. So linking, setting budget levels based on something that you did last time or last year. It's very difficult to set budgets, right? Because it's imaginary money moving around in imaginary boxes on a spreadsheet or in an accounting system of some ilk. If you spent $5 million on a network last year, therefore you should be spending $5 million plus 5% this year. 
and, and if you get stuck in that mindset, you might miss an innovation like in the case of networking, WAN, or in the case of storage software, you know, network storage, case of servers, virtualization, which there was inflection points in cost management there. I could not agree more, Greg. And in fact, one of my biggest jobs is to argue with clients that they need a line item in their budget for XYZ technology. There are two problems with that. One is that they come back and say, well, which vendor should I buy? And the answer is, I don't know yet because you, this technology should be in your strategy, but we haven't done the vendor selection process. So I'm not going to I'm not going to tell you what that should be. And I can't even tell you the dollar amount because we don't, that will depend on which vendor you're buying, but you have to have a line item in the budget and you have to plan for putting some numbers there. And the other issue is of course, vendors come to me and say, you should tell us, you should tell your customers to buy us. And my answer is always, I will tell my customers to buy, to put a line item in the budget for the category in which you operate. But the rest is on you. You better you better win the you know win the RFP assessment or the vendor assessment because that's yeah, that's your job. Is. That is very very hard to get people to put line items and budgets for things that they didn't do last yeah, year. And, I agree. And often that comes down to executives further up the food chain making arbitrary decisions. Like budgeting is pretending that you know what you're doing. You know, and quite often just saying, "Oh, I'll pick a number and put it in here, and I'll fix it later." And then later on, the number becomes fixed in steel you know can't be can't be muted it becomes immutable so never ceases to frustrate me that that hires up ask for a, a fairly well-defined number in that line item and i'm like i can't give it to you until we better understand who you're who you're buying which means we have to be six months farther yeah. down the strategy almost into the execution phase i don't know put a placeholder in but note that it's a placeholder and again that's not how budgeting works so yeah so I think, Greg, that we've actually come up with a couple of really key <laughs> key things that people need to think about. The biggest challenge that faces me, so I obviously as part of what we do here, we do a lot of looking at the horizon type strategy while trying to, you know, looking up as into the heavens as well as looking down at our feet and trying to find a balance between it. The gap here is that so many companies have, have turned to outsource strategy. So they turn to a vendor and say, give me a strategy somehow that strategy creeps into their organization to become as if they thought of it. And and so many companies don't have a strategic function. They don't have an internal organization strategy strategy. They just let it sort of wander. It just happens operationally. <laughs> the, the people on the ground make small incremental choices and the strategy sort of follows like a river flowing down towards the sea. It just follows the course of least resistance. That is a much more poetic analogy than I had come up with, and I'm sure you can guess what mine <laughs> and then the was. The last one is, of course, is that getting the separation of strategy from implementation, I think, is absolutely key. You want somebody to set your strategy, document it, and then you want to have some adversarial engagement to, to sanity check the strategy. It may actually mean that your strategy is wrong and you need to throw it away, send the consultants on their way, thank them, pay them, and then get another set in. Admit that mistake because measure twice, cut once applies here, strategize twice. <laughs> implement once is that yep. actually something as one of the strategy consults i need to i need to say this um there's also the possibility that your implementation folks have reached the end of their lifetime of mm. usefulness because they are no longer able to implement the new thing that's coming down the pike mm. and that happens because implementers whether they're in-house implementers or external implementers have a sweet spot have a comfort zone and some are better than others at continually moving out of it and a case in point is when folks moved from waterfall application development to devops not all the uh, the application developers right. made the cut some That's did right. some didn't it, it is yep. what it is well on that note maybe we should wrap it up here jonah because we're running long today okay 
Uh, well, thanks very much for listening to Heavy Strategy, the show where perhaps the questions are more interesting than the answers. Uh, hopefully we've given you some ideas to help you think about how you want to approach your strategy and your organization. And maybe some of it's relevant, maybe some of it isn't. But if you've got some feedback for us, send it to packetpushes.net slash FU. Send us your follow-up. Tell us what your thoughts are, and uh, we'll cover them on the show. If you could, it would be great if you could tell people about us. We would like to grow the show a bit more, get some more engagement. So please tell your friends, tweet about it, tell us, uh, you know, share it on social media wherever you can. That would be just great. Uh, And we'll look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks.